The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy, and today's guest is Paul McKinley, the Vice President of Communications and Remote Working at Simpress and Vista. I'm also joined for this discussion by my Keystone colleague, Brenda Stanton. In this conversation, Paul talks about Simpress being the parent company to e-commerce brands around the world, where they help smaller companies bring their brand to life. Talks about their ongoing transition to remote work and the benefit to helping their employees live their full lives. And he says remote first does not mean remote only and how they're empowering teams to get together and do work in a synchronous and asynchronous way and how productivity has been enhanced at their organization. Inbound applications up 300% since they went remote in this war for talent. You'll enjoy this discussion. Also want a special shout out to Darren Murph who introduced us to Paul. Next up on the podcast is... Lisa Riley, the Chief People Officer at PTC. And now our conversation with Paul McKinley. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's fantastic to be here. Brenda and I are glad to sit down with you. Brenda Stanton, my colleague here. And so glad that Darren Murph, your partner in remote working, connected us last year. It was great to have him. And we're glad to interview you as well. I was grateful he made the connection. Can you share an early life moment that informs who you've become as a person, as a profession? So there's an old joke, which is, how do you know when there's a pilot in the room? And the answer is, they tell you. So my story, of course, includes the fact that I'm a private pilot. And the moment that always comes back to me and fills me with joy was the first solo, which you do weirdly before you have a pilot's license. So, you know, 14, 16 hours into training, they surprise you after doing a few circuits by the instructor getting out and saying, hey, just go do do that on your own. You don't go anywhere. You just do a lap of the airfield and then land again. But I left that moment knowing I could fly an aeroplane and it just filled me with and fills me still with such pride. And I think it it built confidence throughout my life. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure those uncomfortable situations or where you lack confidence, you can remind yourself of that from time to time. That's cool. Thankfully, um, I landed. <laughs> that's great. I think there's some people that know both brands, Simpress and Vista. I know there's multiple brands, more than Simpress and just Vista, but before we talk about remote work, can you just tell us about the organization and how it fits together? What's the mission? Interestingly, 25 years into the company, we're still founder-led. And so Robert Keane, who started the business, is, is still our CEO. And we're now about a $3 billion business. We have 14,000 people around the world. And Simpress is the parent company of about a dozen uh, e-commerce brands around the world, predominantly in Europe and North America, but also in Australia and others. And we are focused on predominantly the ability to make small feel big. 
One of the things that small business owners continually tell us they are looking for is credibility, giving themselves confidence. Like my first solo, they want to give themselves confidence in their business by having a website, a business card, a storefront, some packaging to, to sell their goods in or to ship their goods in. Signage as well, right? Yeah, signage or a team polo shirt or something with their, their brand on, a, a mug, a hat, a pen, anything where you can bring your brand to life. And, and so our businesses predominantly serve small business, although some serve graphic designers who then serve their own customers downstream. And we make it possible for people to put their brand on a product in often very small quantities at very, very low prices compared to traditional graphic design and printing capabilities. The business grew up in the early days on business cards and has gradually grown out from business cards into all of those other products that, that I described. The business started as Vistaprint. That's the most famous brand and the one people have probably mostly heard of. And of course, they're on the I, jersey of the Celtics as well. I'm a big Celtics fan. I see Vista right there, prominently displayed. Really interesting you mentioned that. The evolution of sports marketing into actually helping small businesses through partnerships like that with Wrexham, with Liverpool FC and with the Celtics has been a really interesting journey for us because there's a Vista small business of the game, for example. If you watch the Celtics live, you'll see happen in TD Garden. Starting a small business and, and making it a success is a huge endeavor. And most people that do that don't have those design skills or, or marketing skills. And so whether they're looking for some help with SEO or whether they're looking for some help with a website or a business card, we can help them. That's cool. Well, let's talk about your role. It's an interesting one. It's a VP of communications and remote working is your title. Can you tell us about what your scope of responsibility is inside the company? Yeah, for sure. I've been with the company 12 years now. I feel a bit like a Velcro for, for extra work sometimes because I, I just keep sticking these other pieces in, into the role. As I enjoy the work and find it challenging and, and interesting, I just pick more things up when I have the opportunity. So I started as the first communications person to ever set foot in the company, internal communications, and have built out from there. So initially with Vista, then moving to Simpress, the parent company, and setting up communications for the parent company internally and externally. And then we transition to remote work. You know, it hasn't gone away and more and more companies are really, I think, wrestling with it. It's not one or the other. Even you, I have some people that work definitely in the physical world, but a lot of your organization is working virtually now. Everybody's on this spectrum trying to find how to work for them. And you made a migration and you've had some amazing results. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what it's done, this transformation to mostly remote. I would say we're ongoing and probably will be for the foreseeable future, I think, because as you fix something or get better at something, then further opportunities reveal themselves and, and you can then chase down the next piece of team member experience to work on or the piece of productivity to work on. We're kind of a hybrid organization. There are a whole load of people who go to a manufacturing plant every day and do an amazing job and, and did all the way through the pandemic. And I've got nothing but admiration for them doing that. And so I look after the nearly 2000 people around the world who are working remotely because they can in our organization. But back in March of 2020, we were a remote averse company at that point. We had no people working remotely. We had 
centers of team members in in the northeast us in barcelona other big centers and we hired people within 30 miles of a piece of real estate in the traditional way and and by the way we were a pandemic headwinds business not a pandemic tailwinds business you know we've publicly reported that at times we were 70 to 80% down year over year in terms of revenues uh, because small businesses were shutting down and people were not meeting and and conventions were not happening and right so as far as what we needed to achieve at that point the executive team felt like team members were being hugely successful working remotely working productively team members told us they never wanted to see five days a week in a piece of real estate ever again. And so those two things came together and the decision was made six months into the pandemic. And I'm so grateful as a communications person. When I look at companies who are even today still pushing out a decision, which way to go, we took a decision early. We gave a gift of certainty to team members in a world where there was no certainty at that point in time around schools or childcare or where you could live or or needing to to visit relatives. And we gave people that freedom and that certainty. And it, it was just so, so well received. And so over the last couple of years, we've tried to look at every aspect of the way people do their jobs, but also the way people want to live their lives now and really try to empower them to live the best possible experience while working and achieving their best possible work. Is there any one story that comes to mind that you're like, this is a great reason why we've done this and this is really adding some value to our organization? From the people we've been able to recruit that we we could never have recruited into the organization if we were asking them to relocate to a piece of real estate. The cognitive, cultural, geographical, ethnic diversity that that's driven in our hiring and, and our thought processes around the work that we do has, has just been spectacular. And from a personal perspective, I often go to team meetings and talk to people about their experience of remote working and just asking questions like, what has this enabled you to do with your life that you might not have been able to do otherwise? One of our team piped up and and she said, I have elderly parents who live quite a distance from me. I've been able to work for one month out of three from their house over the last year and a half. I've been able to look after them but I've also been able to build a relationship with my parents that I don't believe I would have had, had I not been able to do that and not invested that time. And it still makes me a little bit emotional yeah, just yeah. recounting the story because p- right. people are now living their lives in a way that has even more impact to them and, and the others around them than they were able to do previously when they were tied to the location that the company chose to bring you to every day. Right. I think that's great. A lot of executives don't like this at all, the remote work, and a lot of companies have really resisted it. And I think you're right. A lot of companies are kind of halfway in between. You know, they're working remotely, maybe not effectively. And even when they're together, it's not really effective. It's not like it used to be. So how do you bring employees together physically? Or do you even find a value for doing that? We did set some guiding principles at the start of this transition. And and one of the ones that has remained important to us all the way through is that remote first does not mean remote only. And so we do see in-person connection as a big part of our culture and a big part of our future. We have empowered teams to get together when they see fit in order to do the work they need to do or build the relationships that they need to build. And to be honest, it's more the latter that they get together for than 
than the former. They found ways to get the work done remotely. They haven't found ways to consolidate relationships with new team members or to just build that trust that you need for the other 300 days of the year when you're not in person with the people that you work with. We just brought 200 leaders of Vista together in Mexico to a large event for four days to do specifically that. And as we built the agenda for the event, it was just such a different experience. There was so much in-person time, which wasn't sitting in a big room listening to people presenting content. It was literally, oh, we're going to do a team build. Then we're going to hear a presentation. Then we're going to do some networking. Then we've got free informal time for us to meet the people that we really feel we need to meet. Then there would be a dinner. And so really focusing on that in-person connection is, is important, especially at that leadership team level. These were all directors and above. But it's important at team level as well, which is why team leaders like me are empowered to bring their team together when they feel like it's the right thing to do. And I, I did that. It was just over a year ago. So I brought my communication team together in person. Um, we spent three days in one of our collaboration centers. We stuck post-it notes on walls and, and did all the things that, that we used to do when we were in person. We had a, an absolutely wonderful time. And at the end of that, we said, well, okay, that was great. How often should we do it? And people were like, well, I reckon once a year is like more than enough, not monthly, right? not every six weeks. It's like, yeah, that's great. I've got my fill of, of everyone for this period of time, but I want to go back to the advantages now of, of being based in, in my home office and having that level of freedom to, to do the work when I want to do the work. You know, I wonder about the up and coming, like when I was early in my career, I could overhear stuff. I could be pulled into a meeting just as an observer. There was a lot of stuff I was getting through osmosis. And one of my concerns is the newer, younger workers joining our firm. We already built a lot of relationships in the industry and at the company, and we know how to do that. And they don't have that learning. And I'm just wondering, how do you address that now in this new world of work? It's definitely something that we've thought more and more about over the last couple of years. I think there's a couple of things that underpin the way to think about that. The first is we shouldn't try and replicate what used to happen for a new world where they won't be doing the things that used to happen. And so you need to really get to the root of what was the benefit they got from that, like a senior network or just knowing how to conduct yourself in a meeting with the CEO or, or whatever those things are, and then think, okay, in our new world, how do we make that happen? And the beauty of this now is people look back fondly like you just did on how you got some of those experiences because you had a good manager and a good company and a, a good experience. Not everybody had that in their early office life, but now we can focus and be very deliberate about those skills for all new hires, for all people less senior in their career, and, and be programmatic and deliberate about that challenge to mean that the experience is much more consistent. Why can't you bring people to a meeting? It's so easy on Zoom. You can still talk to them in one-to-one -one about the things you're doing and how things are happening around them in the organization. It's like the water cooler moment that I hear a lot about from people who want people back in the office. It's like you're kind of selling a story that your company's creativity was based on a strategy of two random people needing to be hydrated at, at the same moment. And if you're really telling me that's the case, then I don't like that plan. I think we can come up with a better plan to have people brainstorm and, and be creative. That's great. 
We all have Teams and Zoom and all these things. And there's a lot of synchronous meeting that we do. It seems like more than ever. I know you write about that we can reduce a lot of those synchronous meetings and do more asynchronous work. Could you talk about how you approach that and how you make the decision about whether something's synchronous or asynchronous and how you get things done? I was in an interesting debate recently, a fun mock debate, which was all meetings are bad and everything should be async. And I, I, I really don't believe that. I think there are things that you have to be in person on Zoom for, like relationship building and trust building and, and problem resolution sometimes, especially where it's a significant personal different view of, of what things should be. Performance reviews. A group brainstorming ideas and it needs to be together. I think you're right. Although as long ago as 1958, there was a Harvard study saying that individuals came up with more brainstorming ideas on their own. But I think these are not one-way decisions. Some teams need to be together to do some things and uh, synchronous, I should say, rather than in person. But usually when you experiment with async, you can find a way to make it successful and not go back. And I, I think that's where we continually ask our team members, how many meetings are you in every week that you find unproductive? Why are you in those meetings? One of our team just made a fantastic video on how to decline a meeting that your boss has invited you to. And we've just shared it with people. And we made a mistake at the start of this change. Darren was amazing. And I know he was on recently. And the whole uh, remote community, when I reached out to them early in this transition saying, hey, noob here, I don't know how to do this. I, I really could do with some help so we don't make a whole ton of mistakes. That group could have sat back at that point in time and folded their arms and just laughed at us all, trying to keep our heads above water as the, the remote experts who'd been knowing the value of this for years and years and years. And they were so generous with their, their wisdom, their advice, their help. And Darren, you know, right up there amongst that group. And of course, we became kind of co-conspirators on, on our transition. But one of the mistakes we did make early on, I think, is we tried to talk to people about async as the key to remote success. And what we didn't do is talk about the benefit of that, which is <laughs> your life's more fun. You can have lunch with your spouse. You can be home when your kids come home from school. You can work and travel. You can, you know, not take that meeting at 6 a.m. your time zone. By switching the narrative to be really focused on work-life harmony, quality of life, Darren talks about this is not the future of work. This is the future of living. By emphasizing that, do your work when and where is best for you. And make sure that you then live your life when and where is best for you. And you're completely empowered to do that. Just change the way team members were thinking about it. Now, we've got a long way to go, but we have a couple of year head start on a lot of companies and our inbound job applications are up 300% compared to where we were before I read being that, yeah. remote. Can you describe how asynchronous works inside your organization? Maybe give us a picture of something that used to be a synchronous meeting looks like asynchronous now. Async starts with doing sync well. And we all know this, but we don't do it. It's like no agenda, no attender. You have to have outcomes to get people together. You also now have to provide some kind of way to input if you can't come to the meeting or if you choose not to come to the meeting. And so 
here's my agenda, here's my document and how I'm thinking about the decision we need to make. Feel free to input asynchronously or come to this meeting. I saw a really cool presentation by someone at the Running Remote Conference in, in Montreal who was talking about batching as a productivity tool. You know the instinct you get when you think of something that you want to achieve and you want to send someone a Slack or you want to drop into their workflow with an email or you want to pick up the phone and call them if if that's your style. He was just talking about if you realize you've run out of eggs, you don't go to the grocery store and then two hours later realize you've run out of apples and you go to the grocery store. And then two hours later, you realize you run out of bananas and you go to the grocery store. That's super unproductive. You write a list and you go shopping at a time that suits you. That's what async is. It's about bringing your work together into the spaces in your calendar where you're going to be really productive to do it well, Mm -hmm. switching off the outside world, but also us all providing opportunities to input async rather than the instinct being, I need to get these 20 people together now to, to move this forward, which is generally a really bad way to move things forward. That's great. Thank you. Brenda, you have some questions. I just find this so interesting, the switch to really being forced to focus on the employee, right? I do sense, though, that organizations, I know we're still in the pandemic, but as it begins to shift back, are feeling pressure at the top to utilize the actual space, the commercial real estate that they have. And you use the term collaboration centers, which I love. Is that your actual office or did those exist prior to this? No, we had hundreds of thousands of square feet of space. We had our own building. We've got seven, 800 people in this area who used to go to, to there every day. We now have one quarter of one floor of that building So we've gone from 300,000 square feet to about 10,000 square feet, I think. But like I said, remote first is not remote only. And so we did want to provide hot desking if people want a change of scenery, meeting spaces and collaboration spaces, both open and closed. So you would have previously called it a meeting room. Now it's a closed collaboration space as opposed to an open collaboration space, which is just furniture and whiteboards and fun space. And with 800 people in the area, we get about 20 show-ups a day. We've got a WeWork dedicated space in downtown Boston as well. And so those are the two spaces. And we get about 20 people across those. But we do get larger groups congregating in them at times, like 17, 20 people teams coming together when they feel like they need to, to, to get work done. So one of our principles was um, remote first is not is not remote only. Another one is your location should neither be an advantage or a disadvantage. We've hired people all over the world who are nowhere near the four or five collaboration centers we now have, which are all downsized office spaces. And so we just made WeWork paper use available to all of our remote first team members. And so they have a membership, they can just book space, use it for however they want to use it. And charge it to the company. And so we want equity around the world as we hire people in more and more places that are nowhere near anywhere that we we have any real estate. Thank you. That's really interesting. And kind of in the same vein as the being forced to consider employee needs, now employees are more understanding of their values, right? What they hold dear, how they want their life to look, their quality of life, all of those things that may have been nice to haves before have turned into needs. 
So my question is, and what we hear a lot, organizations still feel that pressure to want to make it enticing to come back, almost like a marketing campaign that they want to push versus pull. And, you know, I've heard different organizations really struggle. How do we get them back? If an HR leader is hearing this from their CEO or the C-suite, why isn't anybody here? We've got to get them back. What would be some advice that you'd give to them? I would go down two different routes. If you feel you've got the relationship with the CEO, I'd be asking why. What isn't happening that you think would be happening if they were here? Where are we failing versus, for example, our experience, which is we've saved $15 million a year on real estate costs. And we've invested a chunk of that into team member experience. And so it's not all saving, it's not all bottom line, but it's a really important part of the mix. I think the second thing would be a little bit tongue in cheek, but the way to bring people in into a space is to give them something better than they've got already. And what they've got already is the ability to cook their own food of their choice, have lunch with their spouse and see their kids and put their washing on in between meetings. So it's not a task for all day on Saturday. You better be finding a way to provide all of those things. You just can't replicate that. I would take it one step further than needs, Brenda. I I think employers in many cases have lost the right to ask people to be in a specific place. And employees have taken that as a right now. And, And I speak to so many people who've joined us who the first part of their job search was not what is the job content? It's, is it really remote? Not Is it speaking to being remote? Are you going to tell me I need to travel a week every month? Are you going to want me three days a week here and two days a week there? Is this really remote? And then they get into, okay, and do I see myself fitting in in this organization and aligned with the values? And do I like the job? Maybe the war for talent isn't quite as hot as it was, but this isn't going to go away. The war for talent that everybody talks about, you guys are engaged in on a day-to-day basis. And if you're not setting yourself up for amazing team member experience, then you're not setting yourself up to hire the people that you want to hire and to have the first choice of talent. Paul, a question about equity. You have employees that have to go to a physical space because of the product that you provide to your customers. How do you provide equity to them when they see, you know, your 2,000 people you're responsible for getting all these benefits? How does the organization make them feel like, oh, this works for me too? I think in a global company, engagement needs to be delivered locally. And that applies to geographical and cultural norms, as well as to the type of job people are doing. And so if I was to give people in Barcelona the paid time off allowance that people get in the US, then I'd probably be in breach of local law and I definitely wouldn't be hiring any any people anytime soon. And, and so there's always a difference in the perks as you describe them that people have. I think if you have local leaders everywhere who are tasked with and passionate about delivering a great place to work, then that exhibits itself in a way that's appropriate for the environment. And so our manufacturing team members who are phenomenal have huge opportunity to input into the the way they do their work, to improve the processes and the lines and how things happen. But in terms of the perks, it's like US remote team members can have a Peloton delivered to their home at a significantly reduced cost manufacturing team members in Windsor, Ontario have got a gym on site that's free to use in the manufacturing plant. 
we gave uh, what we called recharge Fridays through the summer to remote first team members. So Friday afternoon was yours. You you work a four and a half day week. That time was also given to team members who were not remote first, but it clearly has to be managed in a different way because you can't close the plant and send everybody home when you've got customer orders to do. And so the scheduling and the phasing and it was a big task, but we wanted there to be equity there. So in, in some cases, there's a like for like benefit applied. And in others, there's a equivalency applied with the success metric being, are, are the team in this place engaged? And if not, what do we need to do to see that? And we measure engagement every two weeks. We have a very short survey that asks a selection of the 50 or 60 questions, but it asks four or five of them every two weeks. And so live, we get a pulse every two weeks in every location at every level of how people are feeling about specific topics. That's great. We deliver this podcast in cooperation with NERA. It's the largest Sherm chapter in the Northeast. And we always have the NERA question of the podcast. This question is, what advice would you give to somebody who probably is living somewhere in the middle, as you talked about, some hybrid model, but not too intentional either way, that is thinking about going more to the way Simpress and Vistaprint is? What would you recommend as their first steps? I think this would be right for most businesses. We started with a very senior cross-functional team. And so although I get the title of of VP of remote working, I in no way claim that this is all my work that we've been delivering. And so the leader of HR, real estate, uh, senior person in finance, uh, technology, all of those people came together into what eventually became uh, what we call the remote first leadership team. We needed to revisit every policy and practice, the way we deliver technology, everything from onboarding to learning and development. One of the things that we did, and we're a bigger organization, and so I know we are lucky to have resource available to to focus on things, but we established a dedicated team, ridiculously called the Remote First Team Member Experience Team, who have a full-time job of delivering fantastic onboarding, fantastic remote-first L&D, fantastic collaboration skills remotely, and fantastic knowledge management processes through our organization. It's a team of seven people. They wake up in the morning, and the only thing they have to do is give our team members an amazing remote-first experience. Like with any aspect of business, when you dedicate someone to to doing it and to delivering it, it's much more likely to happen than when five people have a 20% responsibility for making it happen. Where we've made savings in real estate, we've invested in things like this team, and it's just paid such phenomenal dividends. So it's really the organizational commitment is a big part of it, if you're going to get there. That's great. Yeah, thank you. That's a good summary. I was going to ask you if you felt like your job is in some way part HR now. Is this a people strategy HR role that you're now in, or does it even matter what what you call it? It's really just about how you get work done? The latter. I don't think about this as an HR initiative at all. There's obviously a lot of HR policy and practice, especially as you look globally at employment law and other changes that we needed to make. But if you think about 
the technology changes that needed to happen, just how you deliver a laptop to someone, all of the real estate changes that we need to make, the fact we needed to get budget to give people a remote first allowance on a monthly basis. It, it just needed that complete view of the entire organization and the leaders of the entire organization being bought into the transition, which was an easy sell because our CEO, Robert, when I volunteered to take on this role, I went to see him to ask him what it is that he'd like me to achieve. And he said, Paul, I want Remote First to be a towering strength of our culture and a competitive advantage. That just changed the game in terms of everyone who was involved in this. First of all, feeling significantly under pressure with this change now, but mostly just setting that right expectation of what this could achieve for our people and for our organization. And it it was a game changer. That's great. If you could write a letter of career professional advice to your 25 or 30 year old self, dear Paul, what advice would you give yourself? I would definitely say be kinder to myself. I think I've had a pretty high expectation of myself at work. The commitment that I've put in is kind of generational as well, I think. I think I could have had much cooler family time and, and, and some different priorities over the years. And I actually think I could have still had the same results and career and, and achievement that I've had. What's something you don't want to leave left undone, say, 10 years, five, 10 years from now? From a personal perspective, I would like to take more advantage of being remote. I feel like it came along a little bit late for me. I've got a lovely daughter in the local school district who I can't just pick up and move somewhere else. I can't workation. I can't take advantage of some of these things in the way I would like to. But I'm hoping in the next few years, I do get an opportunity to work and travel a little bit more than I have so far. And I I feel like I'll enjoy work so much more as a result of that. Well, something interesting about you that we wouldn't see on your LinkedIn profile or your corporate bio. This is such nonsense, but I was once early in my career listed as the 39th most powerful HR person in Europe. (laughs) I I definitely wouldn't claim that on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, I also have three nationalities, which is pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. So I was born in Canada to British parents, and we recently became American citizens, actually on July 4th, which was really cool. It's a good day to do it. My last question, your favorite artist, performer, event to attend? I've lived in the US for eight years, and I was in France for four years before that, and I really miss going to see my uh, football team, Manchester United. One of the best moments of my life was in Barcelona in 99 when we won the Champions League and I was at the game. And so I would love to get back to some live soccer in the UK. You must be a big Ted Lasso fan. I love Ted Lasso. I think that's a hilarious program. It was over so fast. I wish they would just make more. They got more coming. Paul, thank you so much for joining Brenda and me. Well, thanks for having me. This was ace. I'd love to talk to you guys anytime. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.